0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Calm Talks. My name is Ant, and I'm here alongside my co-host, Adil. We are here to help you discover your version of success, one Calm Talk at a time. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use. It really helps us grow and allows us to continue producing great content for you guys. Now, if you're not aware, this is actually part two of the art of finding your partner, 10 key questions to ask yourself on your journey of self-discovery. So in the previous episode, We had five key questions that we said you need to ask yourself on your journey of self-discovery such that you will make or be prepared to be a good partner for someone else or continue being a good partner for your current partner. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first because it really is a prelude on what this episode will entail. By starting from where we left off on last episode, Adil, you were mentioning about your relationship with your mother and how that was one of the pain points for you. Growing up, and how you've taken the time to reflect on it. And really, what this means is if you're a woman, what's your relationship like with your father? And if you're a man, what's your relationship like with your mother? And secondly, what we mean is, what is your relationship like with members of the opposite sex? So, for example, if you're a man, what's your relationship like with women? And if you're a woman, what's your relationship like with men? So, Adil, I'll allow you to break that down for us.
1: Now, this is one of the fundamental questions which actually. Sigmund Freud actually asked many, many years ago as a father of psychology, I learned this as a kid about how there is an, an Oedipus complex and an Electra complex. Oedipus complex being applicable to boys and Electra complex being applicable to young girls. And the idea is that every boy is effectively looking for the traits of what their mother have in their partner in the future. And conversely, girls are looking for the traits of what their father have in their partner. In a a pretty kind of weird way, like girls that kind of have that attraction towards their fathers and boys have their attraction towards mothers. It is considered slightly controversial because it's a hard one to digest. But I think that it's been long documented about the importance of the relationship that any young boy or girl has with their parents, particularly the ones that are of the opposite sex. So it starts from a young age because they are your first example of what a marriage looks like, what a love story looks like, what a parent looks like. So those start setting sort of the standard for you uh, as to what you seek in the future or in some cases, if you've had maybe not the best parents, about what you would want to avoid in
0: the future. Yeah, agreed. And I think this, whether it's controversial or not, I think there's still probably some element of truth there. Ultimately, if your mother cared for you in a certain way, she fed you, clothed you, coddled you when you were young, when you were crying, this is the way you learnt how to receive affection. So it's the way you want to receive it in your adult life. So I think there is some elements of truth, you know, regardless whether it's controversial or not. I think there's some some logical conclusions which can be drawn from your parental figure. And then... In addition to that, just
1: thinking about even your relationship with friends of the opposite sex and me growing up in a very conservative country like Pakistan, which is very religious in Pakistan, social dynamics is fairly reserved and assume that male and female friendships are not really a thing. It's different for schools where it's kind of westernized. In Pakistan, like westernized school in Pakistan, I should say. But actually growing up, we were taught about certain barriers that you have in, in keeping a distance with the opposite sex.
0: Yeah, I would say if in London it's actually quite different, especially in my experience. Um having friends with the opposite sex is, is commonplace. It's a very respectful generally, I'd say growing up in London is quite respectful for people of different backgrounds, cultures, religions, and of course their their sex, right? So Having a friend of the opposite sex is commonplace. It's not really thought of as anything more than just being a friendship. So there's obviously cultural elements going in here. But the key question that you have to ask yourself in your own journey of self-discovery is, what is my relationship like with my parents? What is my relationship like with the opposite sex? So for example, do I have that good relationship with my mother if I'm a man? What does it look like? Do I understand the love that they gave me? Maybe I'm looking for something similar or something different. Similarly, if you're a girl with your father. And with the opposite sex, the friendships of the opposite sex. Can I have friends that are women if I'm a man? Is it because I see them, you know, have see their human value, and it's more than just it's not just a sexual thing? Or maybe you know, culturally, I just don't see that because that's how I grew up and the simplicity in the way I, I was raised. These are key questions that you need to ask yourself. I only once you to know the answers to them, things yourself. Are you able to understand what you're looking for in the person that you're with? You don't want this to become a pain point in your relationship going forward. If, for example, you believe that when men and women can be genuine friends, but your partner maybe is from, say, a background like yours, a deal. maybe you just don't get it or don't believe in it, if you will, as much because of the cultural difference, that will become a pain point in your relationship. And this is actually a commonplace pain point in many relationships. So it's very important for you to understand what your position is in understanding the relationship with the opposite sex.
1: In any relationship, you're basically setting a set of rules with each other. There's some which we're all agreeing on about being respectful, being kind to each other, being loyal to each other. You basically want to know about this aspect as well. So if there are any boundaries that you want to share with the other person, you must be aware of them first. But going back to the kind of the relationship with your parents, whether it's nature or nurture, it is something that is being said from a young age, which does end up being a big part of your development or any any child's development from that young age. And I think what that leads us on to is question number seven, which is to ask yourself, what type of dependency am I in a relationship? The fact of the matter is that as, at a young age, when you were a child, if your parents really coddled you they provided you with your needs, but also your wants and kind of gave you all the love and attention every time you cried, you're going to create a codependency in your relationship. And when it comes to these dependencies in relationships, I know there's several types. And I know this is a topic that you've studied in the past. Could you elaborate on what those three types of dependencies are?
0: Yeah. So generally, there's three types of dependency that are commonplace known and if for listeners i'll just describe them very quickly there's people that are codependent independent and interdependent so they will mean something slightly different but you sort of alluded to what codependency means to be more accurate regarding the what it means codependency is really when one person in a relationship gives more than the other they are effectively codependent on that love whereas someone that's independent is somebody that doesn't require any dependence on anybody else. They're effectively very self-sufficient. Interdependent is a relationship whereby each person in that relationship is equally, fairly dependent on one another. They both understand where they shouldn't, shouldn't be relying on each other or being dependent on each other. And that's commonly referred to as the healthy type of dependency, interdependency. And I think to your point, you really need to understand what kind of dependency you are in a relationship because if you are somebody that is codependent, you may be overbearing for the other person in that relationship. Equally, if you're independent, you may be evasive. You may be not present for your partner in their relationship because you're so focused on yourself and you're so able to provide for yourself. So you really need to sit back and understand where you are on this sliding scale of dependency. And ultimately, now you're aware of it. How do you reach the levels of being interdependent so that you two? together form a healthy bond. Uh, If I'm being completely honest, like
1: these types of dynamics in a relationship, I'm only familiar with them at a high level. So anyone who's listening in, how could they go about figuring out their own dependency?
0: When you're in a relationship, you have to ask yourself how you behave in that relationship regarding the responsibilities that you put on your partner and responsibilities that you expect your partner to put on you. So for example, would you expect your partner to attend to all of your emotional needs, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on, that could be a big sign of somebody that's being quite codependent. Whereas if you're somebody and you don't want your partner to understand your feelings or understand your needs at all, because you can just get on with it and sort out yourself, perhaps you're really independent. Whereas someone that's interdependent is able to say, hey, you know what? I need you to step in for this reason, makes you feel this way, or because it will make me feel good or whatever the reason is, you're able to explain why you have that dependency, where it comes from, why you need it, why you like it, etc. And that person's able to reciprocate it back to you so that they're able to provide you that dependency. I think what happens
1: to a lot of people when they're in a relationship is that if they get caught up in their emotions and their conflicts, they haven't resolved those past traumas, they could end up lashing out on their partner And that kind of segues into the eighth question that any person should be asking themselves is to really ask yourself if you take any personal responsibility in life and if you hold yourself accountable. When it comes to any type of relationship, you want to be a person who has integrity, who can raise their hand and say when they were wrong. You can, you have the humility to apologize and fix any wrongs that you've done and move on. The fact of the matter is, No relationship is perfect, you're not perfect, no human being is. You all have your flaws, and you're going to make mistakes. But what you can do is to have the humility to take ownership of any time you have misstepped.
0: Yeah, agreed. One of the key ingredients for longevity in a relationship is to hold yourself accountable and own up and say, hey, you know what? I made this mistake. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I understand it hurt you. I understand it was wrong on my behalf but I'm willing to make amends or ultimately I'm sorry. And a real sorry is not the words I'm sorry. A real sorry is a change of behavior. You're not going to do that again going forward. So a real responsibility to own up to your mistakes and be accountable for how you've made mistakes or how you have made other people or the other person in the relationship feel is truly a superpower in a relationship.
1: So if you're listening right now, think to yourself, when something goes wrong at work, Is your reaction to blame the other person or is it to actually stand up and say, you know what, I messed up. If you're being honest with yourself at work, if you're being honest with yourself with your other friendships, maybe your uh, relationships with your parents, your friends, that's going to be a good reflection for how you're going to act and behave in your romantic relationships as well. So I do think that there is accountability across the board. It's not just restricted to relationships. Now, once you've taken responsibility of your own life, now you have earned and warranted to create a wish list for yourself of what you're seeking for another person. And that's question number nine, which is, what is my wish list of what I'm seeking in a partner? And do I offer that to someone else? Effectively, once you've gone through the work of Making yourself the best partner possible. now is the time for you to think about what do you seek in another person? Are you looking for someone who is hardworking, someone who's diligent? Maybe you're looking for someone who is very fit and works out. First you must ask yourself as well, is do you practice what you seek? Do you work out yourself? Are you eating healthy yourself? Are you working hard yourself? Or oh, that's going to be a great way for you to start? to devise your own wish list
0: i think a real easy way to do this is just to ask yourself what are the three reasons someone would want to date me and what are the three reasons why somebody would not want to date me you have to be brutally honest what are your three strengths and what are your three areas of development and a follow up to that is also understanding what are your deal breakers the question really is what's is on my partner wish list but that's also what are the things i will not tolerate so you also have to be aware of what your deal breakers are Perhaps you just simply won't accept somebody that's not of the same religion. Maybe you won't accept somebody that doesn't want kids because you really want kids. Maybe you won't accept somebody that does drugs or drinks or gambles or whatever it may be. These are fine. These are all personal to you. But you have to know what your deal breakers are before you enter into that relationship.
1: Yeah, as much as you must know what you're looking for, you also must know what you have to avoid, right? You don't want to end up in a dead-end street where it's not going to lead anywhere. And what that's going to lead to is just heartbreak and more trauma. So figure out what your red lights are where once you figure out that this person has those deal breakers, you're just going to stop. You're going to be respectful and part your ways. So speaking of deal breakers, and do you have any that you, you could share with us?
0: I mean, yeah, I probably have quite a few, to be honest. But, um, you know, I think there's some really obvious ones. I kind of alluded to them earlier. A the person that wouldn't like to be with somebody that is into into drugs or drinks excessively, gambling, things like that. But also, you know, something that may be a bit of an extension of that, to be honest, is there somebody that's addicted to social media, just being really candid with you, I don't find that attractive. I find that it's oftentimes quite a limiting mindset that it puts you in, not for everybody, of course. But for me personally, I see a lot of people that are limited by social media and are seeking that social validation. So It's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it's something that makes me think twice. I'll ask you the same question back.
1: Yeah, those are all great ones, by the way. I probably agree with all of them. Just about, I would say another one for me is like cigarettes, because I grew up where my father was smoking cigarettes a lot. Like that's something just, I've just avoided all my life. I've had a few cigarettes or two when I've been out drinking, sure, but I've never like had a habit of smoking cigarettes. So that's like a big deal breaker for me personally. And... Another one that I can think about is just also if the person does not get along with my mother, like that's a pretty big deal breaker for me. Like you have to be able to get along with my mom and my family. And I'm not saying they have to be besties, but they just have to act, at least be fond of each other. I think that's another one.
0: I think that's a fantastic one. And I echo that as well. Somebody that doesn't get with my family, you know, it's going to cause such a divide. Ultimately, no deal can be made if you don't get on with my family.
1: Now, there are going to be certain deal breakers that you want to know about yourself, and you may also have a list of three reasons that a person would date you. You may have this idea about what those are, but what's really important is what others will say about you, and that's question number 10, which is one of the toughest ones. As important as it is that what you would say about yourself, what would your partner say about you?
0: Agreed. And I think this question really does demonstrate where you are on your journey of self-discovery. If you're able to truly say, my partners would say X, Y, and Z about me, you've really taken the time to understand the impact you had on their life, both positive and negative, and able to express that back out into the world and to a new partner that may enter your life. In other words, able to be really candid and say, this is who I am, the good and the bad. This is what other people would say about me who've been with me. And, you know, I'm just being my most vulnerable version of myself by telling you that. A
1: part of the art and finding the right partner is for you to look at your past experiences and how you've done in your past relationships. That's a great way for you to gauge where you are in your journey to your point. So I think that's a question that everyone should ask themselves. I actually asked myself this question as we were preparing for this episode, and that's a tough one, right? I think because it's what we view as a relationship as unfolding. The purpose of this question is for you to have a bit of self-reflection from the eyes of your previous partners. So you can empathize with their experience and how they viewed the relationship and how you treated them. I would also argue that thinking about this question probably will bring out the best of you in the next relationship that you're going to have. If you start dating another person and whether that lasts forever or it lasts for a day, if you think about the fact that I want to leave the most positive impression possible, you will conduct yourself in that manner.
0: It also allows you to identify where some of your weaknesses or development areas are or were in your previous relationship. If your previous partner were to say things that are maybe not so desirable about you, that's just a reason for you to improve. Just a reason for you to reflect and say, you know what, I need to take this piece of feedback that I think they would give me and use it to develop me into a better version of myself for the next person that I'm with.
1: I think one of the worst things I've heard when I'm dating and if I ask another person about their past relationships and all the blame is on them, all the blame is on, the, on their partners, like they did nothing wrong and it was all about them and it's interesting because it actually tells me a lot about how they're recalling their relationship from their own perspective. But I think it's, it's prudent to actually look back and think about it from the
0: other person's lens. Agreed. I actually really echo that as well. If you were to be on a date and ask the person about their previous partners and they were to say, oh, they were the problem. They had these issues. They had that issue. Then that really demonstrates that that person that you are now in front of hasn't taken the time to understand themselves. Where they inflicted pain points in that relationship. They're just putting the blame on somebody else. And ultimately, that's not somebody you want to be for a future partner. You want to be somebody that's accountable, like we mentioned in question eight. So you would really need to understand what your previous partners will say about you so you can reflect that back into a positive version of yourself going forward. So
1: let's wrap up this episode. We have spent the past two episodes showing you the art of finding a partner. On today's episode, We picked up where we left off on episode 20. And that was with question number six, which is to ask yourself, what is my relationship with the opposite sex? Whether you're a woman or a man, think about your relationship with those of the opposite sex, whether that's in terms of friendship or with your parents as well. That can certainly shape how you will be treating your partners in your relationships as well. As much as the relationship with the opposite sex will have an impact in your relationship, that will also affect your dependency style in a relationship. Ask yourself, what type of dependency do you reflect in the relationships that you've had? Are you an independent person? Are you interdependent? Or are you codependent? Each of those will have an impact on how you conduct yourself in your relationships. And it's important to identify that which leads us to question number eight, which is, do I take personal responsibility in my life and do I hold myself accountable? Part of self-reflection and a part of your journey of self-discovery requires you to take an onus for your life and how you are going about your relationships. Are you someone who keeps yourself accountable, not only in your relationships, but all facets of life. After this process of self reflection, we'll move on to question number nine, which is to ask yourself, what is on my partner wish list? And more importantly, do I offer those wish list items to someone else? Ask yourself, what are three reasons a person would date you? And why would they not date you? What are your deal breakers? There's no one size fits all. What's important is that you know what that list entails for you. So you can communicate that to the other person and also find the right partner for you. And lastly, question number 10, which is one of the most difficult ones is to ask yourself, what would my prior partner say about me? We may have a bias towards saying positive things about the relationship or painting ourselves as the best version in our past relationships. It's imperative for you to actually think about what your partners would say and empathize with their experience and what they saw from their lens and their shoes. And that will allow you to learn from those past relationships and allow you to become a better partner for someone today. So I would encourage for anyone who's listened to the end, go on our social media pages. Let us know your answers to these questions. We would love to know about your stories and as well as how your self-reflection is going. And hopefully, this will help you find the right partner for yourself in 2023. And as you do it, always remember to stay calm. Thank you for listening to another episode of Calm Talks. And just as a reminder, if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.
0: You can also find us on Instagram at Calm Talks and join our mailing list by visiting our website at calmtalks.com.
1: And as always, stay calm.